You and I keep looking for light in the darkness, expecting it to appear, but it already has. We're it, Boyo. Broken and cracked and stupid as we are, we're the light, and we're spreading. Hello everyone, welcome to Hell Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. What's up, man? Uh, chilling in your house. Oh my gosh, I just said it was your house. Oh no, everyone it's knows we record at your house. <laughs> nondescript bunker is where we really record. How dare you? No, we actually haven't made this. Have we made the formal announcement that the studio is called Deep Grave? I don't, not to anybody outside of the Discord. Yeah, the Patreon. Or the people Patreon, know. actually, mm -hmm. rather. Yeah, because yeah, they've gotten sneak peeks. We do like extra cut videos for them. And so they kind of seen that they got the tour, they got to check it out. And, you know, we changed the lights this week. We, last week they were, but mine was violet and you had blue and now we're Yeah, these look up. angry. Yeah, they're angry. Uh, I, I don't wonder know why. why. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, how was your morning? Uh, it was pretty good. Just hung out, got the studio kind of ready with the lights and all that and ate some Cheerios for breakfast. Cheerios. Yeah. I know because you eat them every single morning, right? Every single morning. Is it like your Wheaties? Is that the thing? Is it like it's, it gets you like ready to go? I think so. It gives me the energy to tackle the day. That okay. and almond milk, which is almost nothing, but yeah, I still like, enjoy it. Okay. It's a good taste. <laughs> it but is, yeah, yeah. It's like very low nutritional value. Yeah. But, hey, cool. Good for you, man. Thanks. Um, I had some matcha tea. Okay. That's about it. Do you, I, I, I don't know that I've ever had matcha tea. No you, way. You need to make it for me. No way. You've never had matcha green tea? Every time you say matcha, I think of chai for some reason. Like, no. I, I know they're not at all the same, but they're no. synonymous in my mind because I'm not at all. completely ignorant of this. Taste profile is very different. It's a Four Sigmatic. It's a company. It's mushroom matcha tea. It's got mushrooms in it. So is it derivative of mushrooms or does it have mushrooms? No, it's not derivative of mushrooms. Just okay. there's added mushrooms in it. Lion's made, which you're, is, yeah. You're going to have to make this for me. That's all. I will. It's good. And then, you know, it's, it's, uh, it gives me wake without, because I'm trying to cut back on coffee. It gets me awake and alert without all the caffeine because then I go with the coffee. <laughs> How is so, that again? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I understand. <laughs> uh, Disney Plus is coming out with the new X-Men animated series. Really? Mm -hmm. Is it stylistically similar to like what we grew They're up calling with? calling it X-Men 97, so we can presume that they are. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I like that style. So I know, just uh, I always like doing the nerd talk up talk with mm -hmm. you. Up Nerd talk up top. There we go. This this is a new segment that we can create <laughs> with the <laughs> nerd talk up top. Access granted. I have a big announcement, like a personal announcement. Oh, yeah, ready? Let's do it. Here we go. I have still not watched Mandalorian season two. Oh my God. Have you really not? <laughs> I really haven't. That, that's okay. It's not even a joke anymore. That's no, just it's, weird. It's just weird. I know. Like it was a joke for a long time. I yeah. would just bring it up over and over again. You're a big fan of Mandalorian. This I love the first season. Mm -hmm. Just an obscure, strange fact about you. People probably picked it up. I think people did pick yeah, it up. They yeah. would email us that, like, that I was putting on a joke that I had still not watched it. And it, I actually intentionally didn't watch it so I could say that at the beginning of every right. episode for Golden Sun. But I, in truth, just have not watched it yet. I want to. I, well, what are you doing after the podcast? We could watch it. 
well, let's throw an episode on. <laughs> just kick it and just yeah. get a, get a, some matcha tea and yeah. some Mandalorian. We, we need to bury this once and for all, so so this we don't have to talk about Mandalorian Ma- anymore. Matcha and Mando. <laughs> Ooh, matcha and Mando Mondays. I like that. Okay. So every Monday I'll come over. We'll have matcha tea, yeah. Mandalorian, and it'll be a Monday. It's a good precursor to Taco Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <it's- laughs> let's go ahead and do a quick recap and talk about kind of what we talked about last week on yeah, the show sure. and then what's kind of set the precedent and kind of lay down the foundation of what this episode will be like today. Uh, last week, you and I had a really cool conversation about the dream of EO and, and kind of asking ourselves the question, what is the dream of EO? Because it can be seen through different lenses and have different perspectives. And I'm sure a lot of people, listeners and ourselves have this different perspective of how we see it, how we view it. You brought three really cool proposals. We took a look at each of them individually and we leaned one way, but we didn't exclusively say, oh, that's it. That's a dream of EO because we felt like coming up with what it is and trying to be definitive is something we have to wrestle with. And that's what you said so well is that Daryl is doing the same thing. The books, mm-hmm. the journey of the book, that process is Daryl is wrestling with what the dream of EO is. He's trying to decipher what it is as well. And we're in that same journey through this seven part series. So that was kind of what we talked about for the majority of that conversation. But for you and like kind of what are your takeaways now having that conversation a week in the rearview mirror? Yeah, for me, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I thought we had um, kind of a lot of good takes that, and like you said, one thing that I really actually appreciated was that we didn't land anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you spoke about the genesis of the idea of Dream of EO. And at the time, like, well, we we're kind of uh, cultivating what we're talking about we did think like, hey, maybe we're going to have to answer this. Maybe yeah. we, we are going to have to do something. And I like where we ended up. I like that we have proposals, we have ideas, but we don't claim to to know, right? We don't claim to be climbing inside Pierce's head and p- extracting yeah. all this like definitive information. Rather, um, we've actually invited our listeners to comment, to yeah. help us extrapolate what is the dream of EO as we go through this. And I, I think that's going to turn out really well. Well, we're not experts. And we're not claiming to be, you know, and then there's only one authority. I think I said this last week, and I think we've said this multiple times just through the, our whole podcast, like we don't want to claim to know exactly what Pierce is trying to get at. Cause I think of one thing when we talked to Pierce on that episode, we had him on for that long extended episode. And we just released that Patreon version of it not too long ago, like that extended cut that we did with him. You know, he has all these ideas just rallying around his head, like the John Merriwater and Mm -hmm. then like old Barlow, like there's so much depth to his story. So trying to we can interject our own thoughts, but we can't necessarily solve or answer or definitively say, oh, this is the dream of you. Of course it is. And it's that easy. It's not that easy. Like this world is much bigger, even in Pierce Brown's own head. Which is exciting for the IP because yes. if Pierce is so willing or he decides to sell it to people who are willing to create that content, I mean, he's probably got at least five spinoffs rattling For off sure. in his head. Easy. That he has pretty well vetted out too. Yeah. Um, well, let's go and talk about kind of like we talked about last week because uh, the reason I wanted to bring that up, I wanted to talk about last week and like that episode and what it meant is because each episode that we're going to be doing for the seven part event, they're going to be building off one another. There, There's like kind of a, uh, a momentum to them. So I wanted to bring that up and kind of talk about that. And then let's talk about today's episode. But before I get all the way there, I do want to reread the portion of the story I read last week. And this is, again, this is the single last sentence inside of Morningstar, which it, it wraps up the entire first trilogy. So this is Darrow talking. I can, st- I can stay in my seat, right? You can stay in your seat. Okay, you know, thank the you. story time has not started yet. All right. Actually, yeah, I can. Yeah, let me get you a little hot cocoa and you can <laughs> just sip it. Oh, while. matcha tea. Matcha tea. There we go. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to read this last sentence um, from Morningstar. This is how the entire book finishes in the epilogue. 
This is uh, Darrow to set a stage. This is Darrow internally talking to himself as well as talking to the reader uh, and, and referring to Pax when he says when he is old enough. So this, this sentence starts as, when he is old enough, I will take him on my knee and his mother and I will tell him of the rage of Ares, the strength of Ragnar, the honor of Cassius, the love of Severo, the loyalty of Victra, and the dream of Eo, the girl who inspired me to live for more. The reason why I wanted to bring that up and because and I wanted to re-explain that roadmap and talk about what's going on today, we're talking about these qualities, the qualities of rage and, and strength and honor. And, and today's the rage conversation. The funny thing about this is at first glance, and when I read this in the past, I was like, rage of Aries? Like, and because it, it just felt, it felt out of place compared to these other ones, you know, strength and honor and love and loyalty and rage. The rage is the odd, it's the black sheep of this, mm -hmm. of these qualities. It just doesn't feel like it fits. But as you kind of reread the story, dive deeper into the content, dive deeper into what Pierce Brown is, is saying through that. And we're going to talk about that extensively in this episode, but it does feel out of place. But what about you? Is that when you kind of, your first glance, does that feel kind of like, why is rage in here? Yeah. I think that when you first read through the book, you obviously see a ton of rage, mm -hmm. you know, through various characters, be it Severo, be it Harmony, uh, Dancer. I could go on, but I, I, I made my point. Um, the book is full of it, right? And it's kind of this like absolute destruction of society as it stands. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to just rip everything down and, and kind of start afresh. And you kind of look at like the Dream of Eo, which is about liberty and and kind of these more gentle qualities mm -hmm. uh, to what she espouses personally. And it, it doesn't really fit the violence necessarily. Yeah. So it, 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 it was a, a kind of a question in my mind as to like, what is this doing here? Yeah. So the way that I've approached this single sentence, like now, how I've kind of viewed it, specifically when I, we, we all the three of us, Mathar, you and myself started talking about building this seven part series was when I kind of proposed like what we should talk about with this around this sense, I looked at it in a new light. I kind of found that it, it felt different to me when I read it this one time, and which kind of kicked the whole idea off. It was, we, you know, when he is old enough, I'll tell him of the rage of Ares, the strength of Ragnar, honor of Cassius, love of several, and loyalty of Victra. And I kind of realized like, you do start with rage. The story starts with rage. And it kind of moves it, but it, it graduates onto these levels. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a rage story, but then it becomes that you put it in this filter of strength and then it goes into another filter of honor. Like it has, again, we've talked about the dream of Eo last week, having its own arc, like being almost like a character. I feel like these are the, these are the things that, um, this it's, it's an ascendancy. Mm -hmm. This is how it progresses. It progresses through these qualities and it makes the dream of Eo. These little qualities are smaller pieces, snapshots of what the dream of Eo is. And we're just kind of putting them like, uh, inside of it, almost like a puzzle that's empty and you're putting in your rage piece, you're putting in your, uh, you're putting in your, uh, strength piece, you know, honor piece. Wow. It's like brain fart right there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, is, am I interjecting too much on that? Or do you think like, that's a personal way I read that, but do you think that's right? Or that, is that right for you? No, it's, it's personal and you are interjecting, but I don't think you're far off when you first proposed this. Uh, I did look back at the text and I was wondering about that, but you know, if you, if you look at something like loyalty, like to your point, you kind of have to have love as a pretext mm -hmm. to loyalty, at yeah. least in my opinion, right? Again, Same. this is some interjection, right? 
And in order to love, you must do so with honor, right? So there is a bit of, um, uh, and by the way, this might have been better at the nerd talk because I'm about to get okay, nerdy, but yeah. it, it's almost like, you know, electrical engineers or, or just somebody who has a little bit of know-how here would, yeah. would think of like things in terms of parallel or series, you know, do, do all these traits sort of on their own just kind of spill into the dream of EO or are they actually a, a compounding feature? Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that, like you said, one feeds the next and, and then those two feed the following and they're all reliant upon that build. Um, in layman's terms, much like a snowball would go downhill and, and just kind of gather material as it rolls. Jeremy Analogy is always killing it. Shout out to the electrical engineers out there. <laughs> Big shout out to you guys. We need you. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. Let's put a pin in the conversation. That's the setup. That's the pretext. And then we'll talk more about rage and how it's this first step. Um, so let's do that right after the break. If you're seeking legal counsel or in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Turingian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. Now, the great thing about Turingian Law is that there's no doublespeak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Call 559-627-5399 or visit TarigianLaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. Once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need, minus the BS. Jeremy, we're back from break. We're we attempting to answer the question, what place does rage hold inside the dream of EO? But before we can do that, we kind of have to talk about how Pierce Brown uses rage and illustrates rage throughout the larger portion of the series. Yeah, I know we hinted a little bit at it that uh, the majority of the story is is taken up by um, like this sense of aggression, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as it would define rage. Uh, it's, it's much like... Um, you know, because Darrow is obviously a protagonist. So so I think of it in terms of kind of Marvel's The Hulk. Yeah, yeah. You know, where the Hulk is this insanely destructive entity and is just going to level everything in the path. It doesn't really make a discernment between kind of uh, good and evil. So you just have to like point the Hulk in the right way and just let, uh, what was it, Bruce Banner? Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner. You yeah. just kind of let Bruce Banner go. I kind of feel like that's what we were doing here. I mean, obviously... Uh, you and I have kind of talked previously and we've come up with this idea that there's kind of two avenues. Mm-hmm. But I think the one that's most pertinent in the story, although I think my mind is is kind of leaning toward the other one being more important to the dream, I think the one that's that's more relevant to the story and in the grand context of the time it takes, right, is the the one of, of just kind of this blind rage. Emotional. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, I think it's exemplified like tons of times. So you see with like, all the characters that kind of come from that rage side, it's, you know, it's Fitchner, it's Harmony, it's Dancer, Severo, uh, Darrow, of course, obviously being the POV character and rage is that fuel, like kind of almost like, I feel like Darrow uses rage of the way Popeye and you, you, you Hulk, I'm going to go Popeye. Like he puts spinach <laughs> in, he's like, yeah, rage. And he just like hulks out like what's, you know, and kind of goes for it. And it's very blind. It's very in the moment. It's again, it's like this momentum we talked about last week where that's what he uses. He almost like uses it as fuel for himself. And in a lot of ways, like the Hulk, it's fun. Like it's fun to watch 
kind of the pandemonium and the destruction that those two characters or not two characters, like when I say two characters, I mean like uh, Hulk or like Darrow, you know, they can cause in the wake of the, you know, that going for it, like getting like angry and then, and just like, it's, you want to root for it in a weird way, even though it's, it's just completely aimless, but you're kind of like, well, what's going to happen next? It kind of leaves you on the edge of your seat, like thinking, where is this going to go? Cause Darrow, he can be a firecracker. I, I think of the one instance, like that I, I think of most, there's tons of them you can pull from, mm-hmm. but the one I think of most is when you see that Karnas at the Academy levels uh, his ship at Darrow's flagship. And his response is to want to go into a spit tube and just fly through him, fly himself into uh, the viewport of Karnas' ship and just 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 go crazy. He would be it'd be one on like a jillion people if he did that, right? Mm-hmm. But he's like he's so blind, his rage is completely consuming him. He would he's willing to just do that. And or like you know this point we made, <laughs> knock the computer. This point we made, um, we talked about the Fitchner episode. Mm-hmm. where like he just runs and jumps on the ship and then realizes that Aja's in there, yeah. Octavia's in there, Carnus is in there, like all these Praetorians in there. And he's just like, why did you do this? This is so stupid because he's not thinking. It's just that pure rage is completely taking over and it leads to some fun reading, but it's ultimately not helpful at all. Yeah, a, a great example of rage, right? Because that is that's definitive of, of blind rage, right? He's mm-hmm. not, he's not thinking, he's not making discernment. He's not using logic to make decisions. It's just pure blinded anger that he's using there. The one that I think of is actually the gala, mm-hmm. right? And this kind of leads to uh, a little bit of like dancer having, having a bit of this too, yeah. right? It's, it's kind of this anger for dancer is, is exclusive to reds in his opinion. It doesn't really incorporate the other colors, um, because he just feels like their hurt and their pain from history is, is greater than everybody else's. Yes. So, you know, I, I know it's not him who prompts Darrow to to try to bomb the Galat's Harmony, right? Who is obviously the Hulk anger, right? Yeah. <laughs> she just wants to level absolutely everything in life. But, you know, Darrow goes into this uh, wanting to just blow everything to high hell. Yeah. And that's the fun part about this book. That's the great part about Darrow as a character and how we see Pierce portray him because he goes through the same process of uh, discerning what the dream really is that that you and I are doing right now, and where he comes out. Luckily, right before he hits the hits the detonator, he decides that you know what? No, you know this is this isn't right. Like yeah. just being angry, uh, wanting vengeance and vindication for kind of past atrocities to my people. Uh, this isn't the way to do it, right? Because yeah. there are certain there are certain structures, right? And not the structures of oppression, but there are other certain structures that aren't bad. You know, there are certain golds that he treasures as friends and have value as people. And so to just obliterate everything um, is decidedly not the right thing to do for him. And that's, it's a good call out because it's the idea, especially when you brought up Harmony and then Dancer, but this whole, like, you think that when you start out a story and when Red Rising and you're introduced to Dancer rather quickly, you're in chapter seven, I believe you get Dancer and Dancer's pretty cool right off the bat, I would Mm -hmm. say. I really like that character in that, in that first couple books. But over the course of time, as Pierce Brown kind of unfurls the map, kind of shows you more about the world is like, we talked, I think last week mentioned how gray the world really is. But one thing that gets really kind of messy is that line that Dancer says early on to Darrow, you know, we're empire breakers, not terrorists. And those lines get insanely blurred because you think that this rage that Darrow is carrying is a good thing. 
you, you're, you're convinced of that because he's an empire breaker. He's doing it in the name of good, but really like he's just being a terrorist. In fact, like, you know, you keep going the story, the story progresses and several the all time moment real fast. Let me set the stage on this one. You're at the beginning of Morningstar. Uh, Darrow is now out of the box. He's with everyone in Tinos. He's getting pushed in a wheelchair and all of a sudden, uh, you know, Severo's eating that candy bar and he's really, <laughs> he's really jamming on the candy bar. And then Ragnar knocks him, you know, down and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, Ragnar and insinuates Ragnar steals the candy bar, but then Severo runs out of the room that he was knocked into or like an adjacent room and says, you troll, I'm a terrorist warlord. Stop throwing me. You made me drop my candy. And really funny comic relief. I, Severo is so good for that. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so used so well for those moments. It's so easy to gloss over this moment that he says, I'm a terrorist warlord. Like he refers to himself as a terrorist warlord. The sons of Ares actually start taking on that mantle fully because he he is Ares at that point. He's embodiment, he's embodying or emblematic of what the sons of Ares are doing. And he even refers to himself that way. So it's not, a, he's not an empire breaker anymore. He's like, like, they're not even pretending to be empire breakers anymore. And it's, it's, it makes that rage conversation all the more fuzzy. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of brings me back to season one when we talked about that same question, right? Are they terrorists or are they empire breakers? Mm-hmm. You know, and and kind of the answer to that that I had is in some ways they're synonymous. You know, I, I drew attention to uh, the Sons of Liberty uh, from the American colonists. And, you know, they had sort of essentially what could be characterized as domestic terrorism, right? In Destroy, destroying the tea and the Boston yeah. Harbor, all, all these kind of things. And you see several kind of take this very line. Obviously, there's there's an underlying morality to that question too. I'm not going to state that like yeah, yeah. every domestic yeah. terrorism is good, but it's kind of like, do you win, right? The victor kind of gets to write the history is, is kind of where I landed on that. Um, but we, we see, we see several uh, very much like that and just kind of raging forward, right? Yeah. In, in the sense of the Hulk, right? And um, unlike, uh, unlike Darrow, where this is an unfurling thing where he learns from his mistakes and moves forward in a progression, uh, I don't really see that with Severo. Yeah. It's almost like he sort of hangs up his skates at, at some point and hands the baton back to, uh, to Darrow. The one thing that, you know, Severo is, you know, he's again, emblematic of rage, like big time, especially in, uh, you know, through the whole, whole first trilogy, but specifically in Morningstar, because he's taking on, I'm going to be a terrorist warlord. I'm going to go and wreak hell and wreak havoc. A few different quotes here that uh, one is spoken by Darrow. He says, Severo is a force into himself. His rage, a thing to move mountains. I was once like that. And look what it got me. You know, Darrow is referring back to all those actions that we talked about, you know, specifically, we, I think we mentioned several from Golden Sun, like jumping onto the ship, um, you know, with Octavia in it, you know, the gala scene, the Carnus Albalona, like wanting to sp- go through a spit tube, like all those were acts of rage. And he got close calls every single time, mm-hmm. every single time, but it finally caught up to him. It finally led to uh, a tragic end. Gr- granted, it wasn't a full end. He didn't die, but it was sure as hell close, right? So what Darrow is kind of preaching was what you said, like Darrow does kind of wrestle and he learns and he kind of feels like he's going somewhere. He's realizing this rage can't be everything. If this is everything, then we're all going to fail. And Severo is seeking justice or rather he's seeking vengeance for his dead father. And I'm not going to try to blame him for that. You know, I'm not going to try to, he, he, in, a, in one fail swoop, 
he loses his best friend who's captive and he thinks he's dead, or at least he's the only one who doesn't think he's dead, I think, if I remember correctly. Then you have, he loses his dad. He loses, uh, then he's he's losing howlers left and right. You know, he's he's in that mode. He can't really control himself in a lot of ways. And, you know, and even Fitchner back in those graphic novels prequels that, that we, we loved and we referenced earlier, Fitchner learns that lesson too. He's very similar. His arc and Darrow's arc echo each other in a lot of ways. Mm. If you read those graphic novels, they, they have a, a lot of similarity to them. But even Fitchner recognizes, he says, I have rage, but that can only take you so far. Like these characters have to learn to harness that rage and utilize it and kind of make it mean something. And Severo does learn that, you know, over the course of time, but he doesn't quite fully get there until that, that there's like one moment, I believe, in like chapter 23-ish or so of, of Morningstar. Yeah, I really like that. I, I don't think I gave much thought to the parallels between Fitchner and Darrow's story. But um, when you mentioned it and I started thinking, I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like there's some really good stuff there. And I think, you know, Severo is beginning to follow those same patterns. Um, like I said, he, he hangs up his skates. He doesn't continue to that progression where he might learn we're not sure right because he kind of goes dad mode Mm -hmm. and kind of bows out a little bit um (laughs) but i think one thing that darrow's saying in that in that quote that you brought is like there's a cost right he doesn't overtly Mm. say that but we learn that through both darrow and with fitchner in the prequel and you know well we decided to talk about the prequels uh we we don't want to spoil anything right but it talks about Severo's mom, you know, in, in the original trilogy and stuff. So that's fair game. And, you know, uh, Fishner becomes extremely angry and goes into that, that blind rage we're talking about, uh, quite quickly, uh, when his wife is killed. Right. And he seeks, there, there is a level of justice, um, that he eventually holds onto, which is the Genesis for, um, the sons of Aries. Yeah. But before that, he absolutely flies off the handle and he does become this destructive force, this Godzilla that is just leveling a city. However, <laughs> there's great cost to him, right? Just yeah. like Darrow loses his friends and some family and, and there's, there's high cost to that, you know, Fishner ends up feeling the same thing. Yeah, he loses, in that graphic novel series, yeah, he loses people just like Darrow loses people because the rage is the guide and rage as a guide is just got to get you only so far, like Fitchner says, mm-hmm. and it's just going to fall flat and like Daryl learns. So there's this one turning point moment that I feel like is really critical to talk about where it, it kind of both characters, both what we're, characters we're talking about right now, um, Severo and Daryl, at least Daryl probably already realized this, but this is the first time he's vocalizing it. And then Severo, I think, is learning from this moment. And it's, it's in chapter 35. I hinted at it last week in last week's episode. I want to read it. This is Darrow is the speaker exclusively talking to Severo. This is right after Ragnar's passing. They're back in Tinos. This is one of my favorite pieces of back and forth dialogue between two characters in the entire first trilogy. And this is just the last part where Darrow's kind of wrapping up the conversation. All this time, I thought this was for Eo. I drove straight on like an arrow because I had that one perfect idea in my head. She wanted this. I loved her, so I'll make her dream real. But that's bullshit. I was living half a bloody damn life, making an idol out of a woman, making her a martyr. Something instead of someone, pretending she was perfect. She wouldn't have wanted that. 
And when I looked out the hollows, I just knew. I mean, I guess I realized as I was talking that justice isn't about fixing the past. It's about fixing the future. We're not fighting for the dead. We're fighting for the living and for those who aren't yet born, for a chance to have children. That's what has to come after this. Otherwise, what's the point? You and I keep looking for the light in the darkness, expecting it to appear, but it already has. We're it, Boyo. Broken and cracked and stupid as we are, we're the light and we're spreading. That gets me every time, dude. Man, where was this quote the first time I read this book? <laughs> I don't know. Because this is so big and and it's just great. Uh, you know, one of the things, the, the main thing I see here when you read that, that touched me is this idea of light, right? And And when you said that inside, I was like making that synonymous with hope. Mm-hmm. And there's that section you have where you say justice isn't, about looking in the past, right? Or fixing the past rather, mm-hmm. uh, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, to, to kind of always be looking behind you, right? Without the light, without hope, mm-hmm. you have nothing else other than just to seek vengeance, yeah. to seek retribution for wrongs because you're right. He, or rather Darrow's right. You're not looking into the future. You're not using hope. Yeah. Um, you're hopeless instead. Yeah. And until you can have hope for fixing injustices in the future, that's all you have is blind rage. All you are is that entity going out straight forward and just absolutely destroying everything. Mm-hmm. And like the scalpel that the surgeon has, right? That's what hope allows you to have inside these moments. Yeah, it's not the hammer, it's the scalpel. Absolutely. <sighs> There's a lot of layers here uh, in this in this text. Like the one thing that I, I look at First, um, you know, there's that such a good point, but that is uh, one big piece of what's happening here. There's other pieces like, you know, all this time, I thought this is for Eo. Hmm. It's re- like the coming to this realization, this, this, if I'm just doing this for someone else, for someone who's not even around anymore, that, you know, it's kind of what you said, but it's just a different perspective, a way I think about it. It's like, I'm just looking backwards at someone, I can't fix her, I can't fix this, I can't fix like, what Nero did. I can't fix all these things behind me. And, and Darrow has left a wake of destruction behind him. There is, there is no, even if for the biggest Darrow fans like myself, you cannot deny how terrible he's been in certain moments. Yes, he's been compassionate. Yes, he's been alive and real and honest and lovely in times too. But he's also been a total douche mm-hmm. and he's ruined people. He's hurt people. Yeah. And you can't escape that. So that's, what, that's actually his honesty here especially in this quiet private moment with him and Severo is what really gets me. It's like, he's like, I was just, it's bullshit. He says that exactly. Like it's wrong to, to do what I've done. And I can't just keep going that way. If I keep going that way, then, you know, it's, it's nothing. And actually there's something I took out of this because I read this, this quote straight through, but there's a moment where Darrow actually, it's like, you know, it's kind of the, exposition. So Pierce puts this in, he puts his hand on Severo's shoulder and he's like, you know, we're it, boyo. Like, this is who we are now. Like we're, we're stupid and we're cracked and we're broken, but we're that light and we're spreading. It's like, it's not, it's, it has to be righteous indignation. It can't be pure rage. If it's pure rage, then 
it'll be all the things you said. It will be the hammer coming down. And a hammer is is not, it's a blunt tool. It's mm-hmm. not a it's not a tool of refinement. It's not a tool that like it doesn't do well in a lot of circumstances. You can only use it to hit things. It's it. But you can use a scalpel to make clean little marks and to go through its its refining things. And that's what it has to be. That's what rage has to be in the story. That's what rage has to be to EO or to EO's dream rather. Otherwise everyone's going to miss the mark and it's going to hurt. Yeah. It's going to hurt bad and it's going to lead to more pain and more, more loss. No, it is. And, and Darrow says here that he kind of thought he had the right of it. He was, mm. he had this idea of what EO really wanted and he was driving on like an arrow. And you're right. You're absolutely right. He killed people. He, he hurt people. Mm. He damaged them uh, probably in a way that isn't reversible to some of these sure. people that called him Broke. friends and brother. Yeah. And you know, you, you can't deny that, you know? And I think that this is this quintessential beautiful moment where he's coming into that realization that he needs to pick up the scalpel. He can't just keep smashing people, mainly yeah. not just things, but people with hammers. Yeah. And that's, and I think also the beauty of that too, is that we talked about Severo and how he's on that path. He's a, I'm a terrorist warlord. He's handing that scalpel metaphorically over to Severo at the same time. Mm. Like it's, it's more than just Darrow's recognition of it. It's him going, you need to, you need to hold this. Like whatever you're holding in your hand, whatever blunt instrument you're holding in your hand, you take, put it down and pick up this one. This is going to, this is what's going to work for us here. Um, or otherwise, again, we're, we're, we're at the, we're on our way to the end. Um, really cool quote from Lauren Al, Arcos, Al, Lauren Al Arcos when I said the end, it made me think of this. The bill comes at the end and it's on its way. And it's like, it, it's, it's right. It's like the, if you just let that rain, this is someone, this is Lorna Arcos was the rage knight, you know, again, another character that has this like recognition that this can't be your guide. This can't be it. You know, if you do that, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And that's what Lauren wanted for Daryl. He wanted to, you know, he wanted him to live a life of peace. And if you got to go down that rabbit hole of, what if Darrow accepted Lauren's patronage, uh, patronage as opposed to Nero's, which I know alters the story in, in incredible ways, but just the idea of who Darrow would have become would have been much more peaceful and much more, uh, you know, not that man of war. But granted, that's not what the story needs. The story does need him to be a, a person of war a per, yeah. to, to, guide the, to the guide the rising. Yet that process is messy and gross and sticky and hard and it has all these things you need to learn inside of it. Yeah. I mean, in addition to Fitchner and Darrow, like to your point, Lorne is another great character who's already had to learn this lesson. His history as a character is one of murder, is yeah. one of assassination, is one of destruction, right? For a cause. He He's the one that was pointed by society mm. and, and just released, yeah. right? And he's coming around basically saying like, my, my life was for naught. I yeah. Mean, and, he and, regrets a lot of what he did. You know, you can see that. You can feel absolutely. that in him. Yeah. And, you know, and then Fitchner obviously understands the same thing. You know, there's there's so many friends and so many important people to him that were lost uh, at this cost of of trying to rage on and, and destroy. And, and Darrow's seen that, right? So I, I agree with your point where he's trying to essentially tell Severo, hey, man, like, the path you're on. He's trying to do the same thing that Lauren did, right? Yeah. And saying, get off the path, dude. Like, you, yeah. this is not where you want to go. I like that it's, all these characters recognize this. Mm. Red characters recognize it. Gold characters recognize it. 
you have, you know, and you bring more people into the fold, not just exclusively those two colors, but there's a rec- there's a, you know, reckoning that all these characters have to go, you know what? Like this doesn't work, you know? And and no matter where you're at, what side you're on, it just doesn't work. You have to have a righteous indignation rather than a complete emotional pull rage, just kind of just frenetic and crazy. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just a lot, dude. It's a, that's a lot to talk about there, but I want to go ahead and kind of do a few different things, a couple like little activity here and ask you some questions um, and talk more about like kind of rage and, and kind of what place it holds in the story here and to wrap up the episode. So as we've gone back, as I've gone back and read over and over, like, you know, when he is old enough, I will take him on my knee and I will tell him of the rage of Aries, you know, Daryl referring to Pax. Um, you know, it seems scary. Like, why would you want to take your son on your knee and talk about the, all the things we just talked about? Like all the screw ups, all the murder, all the, all the misplaced anger. Why would you want to take your son and put him on your knee and tell him about that? But it's, it's probably the inverse, right? Is it not? Is it more about the righteous indignation side of it? What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it's both, right? I think there's a sense of absolutely. I, I, I desire personally to sit my son on my knee and teach him about righteousness, mm-hmm. right? But part of understanding righteousness is, is looking behind you. That's, that's not the only place you can look, right? You have to look forward for justice, but the importance of looking behind is history, mm-hmm. is not allowing that history to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. So if I can sit my son on my knee like Darrow does, uh, much in the same way that he spoke to Severo, right? Pax isn't on this path yet, but Darrow as a father doesn't want Pax on this. So he's not only saying like, there's a certain righteousness that you need to understand in life, right? I'm, I want to hand you the scalpel. But I think there's absolutely the other side where he says, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you all the mistakes I've made, all the people I've damaged, because I don't want you to do the same. Yeah, well said. I, I would agree with that. I totally affirm it. So the other question then is not, you have, you know, the story is being told from two sides. The story is being told from the POV of Darrow, but it's being written by an author. It's been written by a person. It's Pierce Brown. So, so I guess the flip side, almost the opposite end of this same question is, why does Pierce Brown include rage as a key to the rising or as a key to what we're talking about as EO's dream? Why do you think that is? Yeah. And, and like I said at the top, it's like when you first read this, I was questioning that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I, I personally think I, I know, right? Without that fire in your belly, right? Without that that righteous look forward for justice, you're not going to do anything. There's absolutely no impetus. There's no start to the process. We we talk about EO as a catalyst um, mm. for this rising, right? But if you have a catalyst in a, in a chemical equation, but no fuel, absolutely nothing happens, you know? Yeah. And, and much in the same way, EO would just hang from the gallows, just another casualty in the minds for someone who spoke out. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one would, would take notice. Nothing would happen. Yeah. You know, I actually, I have a, a quite, I, a, a thought as you were talking, what if, what if Pierce Brown is saying this directly to the readers, you know, like what if it's like, again, it's just, I'm just interjecting personally, but why does Pierce include rage as the key to the rising or key to EO's dream? I think in a way it's almost like, maybe is he telling us the same thing? Hmm. Is he saying like, have, you know, you can see injustices in your world, and we've seen them, like we've seen them in our lifetime. We've seen them last summer, you know, but you can see those things happen and you can be upset about them, but don't act poorly, Yeah. act righteously. Yeah. 
So I, I actually take that like personally. Yeah. No, I, I think so. I think, I think I would hope Pierce would say the same thing, right? It's don't pick up the torch and pitchfork, mm-hmm. but pick up the scalpel, yeah. right? And, and carve the injustices out mm-hmm. and create a better society. And I think that's, that's the impetus of what he's trying to do here. But again, it's, there should be that fire, right? There should be something that fuels you and moves you forward. And without that anger, um, the good side of anger, uh, you, you don't have any drive. Yeah. So I guess the last thing I wanted, I wanted to kind of tackle is, uh, <laughs> it's really funny cause it's, it feels like we already <laughs> know the answer, but I want to, I want to talk about it at least. Does EO have rage? Yeah. EO absolutely does have rage. Yeah. I, I think EO, I don't know if she's balanced, but she absolutely contains both sides of what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are certain times where she has this blindness um, that she acts upon, where she just she does fly off the hand a little bit. Like mm-hmm. she has a fiery redhead spirit, and, and, <laughs> and she she hurts Darrow, right? She she's mean to him in the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another side to it that is amazing to me with Eo as a character, and and I've been a bit critical of her in the past. I, I don't dislike her as a character though, but I think um, the thing that amazes me most about her is her sense of justice. She's brought into this world without any representation of what justice, what righteousness would look like. Mm-hmm. She's raised in a mine where she's a slave. Everyone around her is a slave. Even even the copper Paginus and the gray soldiers that are that are keeping guard over them are slaves. Yeah. Right? She has zero idea other than that one gold visitor that she met for the first time in her life. Yeah. Uh, so she doesn't know what freedom looks like. She doesn't, but what's amazing about humanity about what I believe to be this like universal morality that that permeates is that she still knows that she may not know exactly what it should look like, but she knows what she has isn't right. And she drives and she pushes for righteousness. Yeah. Part of the, yeah, she has both. Yeah. When you said redhead, fire redhead, I'm, you know, I'm a ginger, so I I get that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, she has, she contains both. And I think that was why Pierce wrote her the way he wrote her. For to show so so where he can kind of bookend this character that he starts with at the very beginning of the series, and to start with this dream, uh, this idea of liberty, and then to be all by the end of the book to say that rage is a key factor in order for all this to come together. I think that they they mirror each other on you know the beginning of Red Rising and the end of Morning Star. They have to they kind of I feel like to me like it looks like people watching on video it looks like this. You know, like the two hands just kind of pushing together and becoming yeah. one kind of one greater fist almost. So we could probably jam on this for a little bit longer, but I do want to, uh, you know, go ahead and wrap up here. I'm going to uh, put a pin in it because the conversation is ever evolving. We could focus on rage more, but we want to also focus on strength and honor and love and loyalty. And next week we'll talk about strength. We'll talk about what it means uh, inside the dream and just kind of what it means in the larger scope of the series. Uh, you know, using Ragnar as kind of our key figure for that kind of, you know, I know we didn't use Fitchner as much of a key figure here because I think that Fitchner and Ares specifically, Ares is, is a moniker, you know, Fitchner is Ares, yes, and several is Ares though, but I think Ares is more of a moniker, but I think we'll probably dive in a little bit more to Ragnar and Ragnar's story and talk about that strength. And I'm very looking, I'm very much looking forward to doing that with you. Yeah. Ragnar is an amazing character. We're finding out in the fan community how beloved Ragnar is. Yeah, huge. So I'm I'm very, and I'm much anticipating 
talking about Ragnar. And what I'm finding and what I'm excited about strength is how we're kind of realizing that there's these qualities on face value, especially on first reads. Yeah. And then there's just so much more depth and nuance to all these things. So yeah. I, I really, I'm really excited about yeah. talking about strength. You say rage and then you go, okay, rage. And you, and you think you know what it is. And you kind of like really give it some thought and you talk about, you talk about the context. You look at chapter 35, which is that portion I read, you know, and it's like, well, is that what rage is? And I think that's more what rage is. It's again, it's this righteous indignation and strength. We'll probably, we'll probably look at it through different prisms, like you're saying, and We'll wrestle with what it is and what it needs to be and what it, we think Pierce Brown is trying to say through that quality of strength in the larger scope of the series. So let's go and wrap up there. And until next week, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper, everybody. Hail Reaper is produced by Philip, known as Oracle, Jeremy, known as Checkmate, and Matha, known as Broadcast. It's been to you across the airwaves all the way from Deep Grave Studios. Our intro theme was composed by Matha. The track you're hearing now is Grey by Sahab. Our broadcast visuals were created by the amazing Leslie Ray. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe, and thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. Dream of EO never would have happened without the support of some gory damn fine howlers. They're all part of our incredible Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with the rest of the pack over on Discord. Visit patreon.com slash to learn more. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. The Dream of EO is a seven-part limited series. But if that's not enough, we host a companion show called Beyond the Veil, which will air live on our YouTube channel every other Monday during its initial run. It's a peek behind the curtain at what goes into making the show and what it takes to build a community online. You can send your burning questions about the series to hailreaperpod at gmail.com with the subject line, Beyond the Veil. This is Broadcast, signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn reaper.